Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. On this week's episode, we welcome Brian Handrigan of Advocado. But before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank my sponsors. First, Synchrony HR, NWO IT Services, Go Brand Go, Enterprise Bank and Trust, The Tom James Company, and Edward Jones. And now to this week's episode with Brian Handrigan. Brian Handrigan, thank you for joining the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you coming on today. Happy to be here, Brian. Absolutely. Well, we've known each other uh, several years now, and we've had your partner on this show, Jeff Lenahan. And so I'm excited to have you on and share your uh, your career and your views on leadership with us here today. And uh, just excited to dive in. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You know, around the office, Jeff and I are kind of referred to as the two halves, so it's great that you're able to get the second half on the, on the show here today. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's start uh, kind of with your career. Talk to us about growing up here and then kind of what led to the start of Avocado. Got it. Well, yeah, I've, I've got kind of a, probably a, a not standard St. Louis background and then I didn't grow up here. Um, I grew up on the East Coast in Rhode Island in, uh, in that tiny little state. And, Beautiful uh, state, I, though. Yeah, you know, love the ocean. Yep, I, I do miss that. But uh, yeah, really, uh, from starting in, with graduating out of college, I've been patently unemployable. Uh, started my first business then, uh, back in the old um, um, interactive media days uh, before the internet, and have really just uh, you know been enamored with how digital um, and communications intersect, and it's it's really been a common theme my entire career. So what was your path to St. Louis? Talk to us about that. Yeah, um, well, before things were called startups, I joined a startup back in the <laughs> 90s here. Um, you know, there was this really interesting company that was doing uh, uh, essentially digital asset management. Think, think of things like um, if you were going to put walmart.com online and you had no photography of any of the Walmart products, how do you do that? Mm, okay. Right. So, yeah. uh, so we had, we had a business that not only organized them, but uh, digitized them. And then that got us into the internet. So I, I, I thought they were doing some interesting things. Um, I was convinced uh, my wife as well. We were probably 14 months after getting married and picked up and moved to St. Louis where we essentially knew nobody, but thought it would be a good idea. And here you are today. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> many, many years later. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who don't know, I, I, you know, I have a unique perspective, I guess you could say, but tell us about Advocado and what you guys do and kind of how Advocado got off the ground. Sure. Yeah. So today, if you think about it, 
Right, Advocado data is at the core of everything we do. And, and if you think about the, the name Advocado, one of the interesting conversations we have today is why Advocado and not Benadnas uh, when it comes to our name. And it's, uh, we are an advertising uh, technology and data company. Um, and what that means is we help advertisers understand what's happening um, out there in the marketplace when they run their ads. So everything from did this television ad run on NBC on channel five when you expected it to, uh, to how many you know ads are running throughout the country, whether it's on TV, radio, or digitally. So we collect all that data and bring it together. And, and the name Advocado comes from the idea that advertisers really only have a small moment of time where they can uh, capture a consumer's attention. And it's, uh, it's referred to these days as a micro moment. And for us, it was very much like when you'd go to make some avocado toast and you pick up that avocado and some days it's hard and it's not ripe yet. And other days you've missed it. And there's that small window of opportunity when an avocado is perfect to eat. And that, that's why we really embraced that whole idea about how we can take data to find those moments and to facilitate and amplify meaningful connections between advertisers and consumers. Absolutely. Well, I, th I love what you guys are doing and uh, we're going to get into some more about the business here in a moment, but how did you and Jeff meet? How did, you know, how did the idea and the organization come to become? Sure. So uh, Jeff and I met actually through um, EO, the entrepreneurs organization. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. Jeff um, at the time had his first business and I had uh, a digital agency here in town. And so we were both members of EO. We were both in form together, which is a group of about eight to 10 folks that meet on a, on a monthly basis and you really get to know people um, and you, you deal with, you know, some of the biggest challenges or biggest uh, kind of celebrations in an entrepreneur's life. And so after, you know, being in, in forum for a while, we happened to be actually on a forum retreat down in Austin and we both had kind of major, not good events happen in our businesses that, that really brought us together and on the other side of it, we, we found, we, we identified a way to potentially work together to help each other out, realized we were a really good team. And that was really the start of what's now, you know, been through probably four or five different businesses together, some still active and running and some, you know, that we run actively. Obviously, the one that we run actively today is Advocato. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, honestly, EO is how I met Jeff many years ago. And that's kind of how I got connected to both of you guys was mm -hmm. uh, kind of through EO. So it's amazing how the networking and the uh, power of EO and groups like that can really um, impact uh, the community here. Absolutely. You're, you're right there. Absolutely. So talk to me about this. So when you guys decided to start Advocado, what were some of the challenges that you guys kind of faced getting started and how were you able to kind of overcome those? Sure. Well, you know, so Advocado is, is a really a classic uh, startup in the sense, uh, or a tech startup model. Uh, I can't say we're a startup anymore, but you know, when we founded, um, we were looking at trying to build a business aggressively, um, building a technology platform here in St. Louis and, and taking it to the market. So if you think about that, you have a number of different challenges. One is just, just funding. Yeah. Right. How are you going to fund it? I know a lot of businesses, uh, let's call it traditional services businesses. You can fund on a, um, uh, and bootstrap them. Uh, this was not one of those. Uh, we, you know, we had to raise millions of dollars to help build out this stack. So the first challenge was really, how do you find the money? Exactly. Um, right. And, and, you know, a, a piece of advice that was given to me years ago that really still rings true. And it might feel like it falls a little hollow. And that's if you uh, want advice, ask for money. And if you want money, ask for advice when you're talking to investors. 
And, and the reality of it for us was we learned, thankfully, since this wasn't our first in, uh, investor funded startup that we needed to build rapport and trust with investors before we ever asked for money. And it's one of the most counterintuitive things if you're a young entrepreneur or, or an early entrepreneur in a business and you really wanna get that cash, um, if you start asking for cash before in some ways you've earned the right because the investor knows you because they're still just investing in people yeah. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, you really do yourself a disservice. So we learned that a lot, right? The other challenge is about how do you design a business uh, in terms of a, an evolving marketplace? And so we spent a lot of time on, on building out our business model canvas and understanding the forces that affect the, the business and things that we should do to set it up right. And ultimately, we needed to have a product and we needed to have product market fit. And yeah. so these are the things that over time, you know, it's not one and done. You, you kind of evolve and you, you see how the market's responding and you see kind of the, the tools you have available and the constraints you have at that time. And, and you do your best to, uh, to put out, you know, the best product or the best service that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love what you shared there about asking for advice before you ask for cash. I know, you know, I know my audience pretty well. We have a lot of uh, people who listen to this show that are, you know, aspiring to be a leader of an organization. We have uh, people who are entrepreneurs listening to this show, and we have people who are aspiring to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so I love how you said uh, to, you know, ask for advice and then, you know, because you got to earn the respect before you can actually ask for the investment. Uh, and I think, you know, you mentioned that that's something you still hold true to yourself today. And I think that's great advice that you just shared. Oh, thanks. I mean, to put it in perspective, um, there are, you know, Jeff and I have, uh, one of the things, and this is another piece of advice I want to kind of jump in on the funding side. Um, it's really important to understand how investors look at deals. So for example, you know, there, there are kind of the classic stages. You have your pre-seed where you might go to an accelerator and get 50 or a hundred thousand dollars, right? Um, you yeah. kind of, or, or you have that kind of friends, family and fools round where you might be able to get 250,000 to do things. And then you go to a seed round. And when you get to a seed, which is really about, you know, you're really about building that product and trying to validate the product market fit. But investors, when they look at a seed round, there are certain criteria, whether it's the, um, the, the stage or the progression or the maturity of the product, making sure that the team is more than just a founder or two, making sure that the valuation fits in certain categories and that the amount of raise hits right, kind of the profile of the round. And that kind of leads into whether you're doing your series A or ultimately series B or, or greater. And I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, put labels on things. Like when I see a million dollar series A, I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, um, in my opinion, because right? it doesn't fit the criteria sure. of, of, what's, of what's going on. And so it's important to package your deal in a way that investors can process it, right? And, and do things like set your company up to make it investable. Make sure your, 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 your business plan and your, and your pitch deck are all aligned. But just by making it easy for people to go through their own checkboxes, because some investors are seed round investors, some investors right, are later stage Series A investors, and knowing that, but even still maintaining those conversations. Jeff and I have had you know, re, uh, regular talks probably every three to six months with some funds that wouldn't be investing in us for years, but we want to make sure that we, we start tracking with them so that when we do go out to ask for money, it's not the first time we have a call. And I apologize for kind of getting into it no, um, no. in a little more detail, but I, I think that's a big aspect, 100%. right? Because funding is so critical to, to being able to, you know, start, uh, you know, realizing the dream of the business. 
that you know I, I see way too many um, early entrepreneurs or first time entrepreneurs trying to raise money and they're trying to raise it from sophisticated investors, but they're organized as an LLC and not as a Delaware C Corp, for example. Wait. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, I've never had to go through, you know, funding a, a business or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people who are leaders and entrepreneurs who haven't had to do that do, wouldn't know really where to turn if they had if they had to get go to that route. Um, and so being able to share that with our audience today, allow them to kind of learn some of the pieces, I think is, is very impactful. Um, I know you guys have done a fantastic job with it. And that brings us kind of to my next point, <laughs> you know, which is talk to us about the, your recent announcement and acquisition that you guys uh, have shared. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it would sound a little weird for me to go, uh, you know, not too long ago, it was really challenging sometimes for Jeff and I to raise money when we just, you know, announced a, a $10 million raise. <laughs> um, right. And, yeah. but it all comes back to those basics, right? So, you know, Today, it looks easy because of the time and effort that Jeff and I started investing years ago is really what, you know, what, what came of it. And, and while I get to the fundraising, I think the biggest thing is, is along the acquisition, not just because we acquired a business, but really because of um, the exercise we went through that, that created that opportunity for us. Um, and that was literally about 12, well, 13 months ago now, it was December of twenty that um, Jeff and I were in Connecticut at one of our board members' uh, homes, uh, and she was taking us through this, this vision uh, process. And it's not, a, it's not a business plan in the classic sense of what most entrepreneurs would think of, where they're saying, okay, I wish, you know, I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. It was literally kind of like when you're doing a visualization for yourself personally, um, and you can really pick out all the details, we did a three-year vision plan of the business as it will exist in three years. And then we backed into it the steps that, would, that we need to take to make that vision a reality. And one of the first obvious things was we needed to buy this company sure. um, or this division from this you know, multi-billion dollar holding company that, by the way, wasn't for sale. <laughs> and, and so we looked at it and we said, well, this is a you know, really interesting and aggressive idea. It makes perfect sense. Um, what, what do we have to lose? And so we literally sent an email uh, you know, to the head of the North American division. Because this was an international company. Oh wow! And we, you know, we said, "Hey, um, you know, we haven't chatted before. We know the company's not for sale, uh, but we, you know, we've been a partner with them for a while, and we think they make a, you know, a good fit here. Uh, we'd like to buy it." And we didn't get the, "Oh, of course, we'd love to sell it to you." And so <laughs> we got the, essentially, after the laughing stopped, it was, you know, uh, we really love this division. Uh, thanks for your interest, you know, move along. But we just didn't let that stop us. And we came back and said, seriously, uh, there are reasons why you want to have the conversation. If you take a half hour, we're going to explain them to you. Yeah. And so we had that call in June and we closed the deal in November. Wow. Well, congratulations. And That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. And, and, you know, it was really great that we bought a business, but what we really did was we vertically integrated, you know, our company. So sure. this ad detection data was, was so critical that we essentially bought the, you know, the 30 plus year old gold standard in the industry um, and a bunch of customers came along with it. So, you know, I'm going to do a shout out, you know, a good friend of ours, Walker Dybel wrote the book, right? Uh, Buy Then Build. And, you know, literally while we were going through this process of identifying that we wanted to buy uh, Cantor BVS, um, I finally read my friend's book and I, I got I put it down and I was like, holy crap, 
um, this sketch just gave us the, the strategy and, and all the, all the mechanics of how to get this deal done. And it was a super huge benefit and another St. Louis entrepreneur. So it, you know, I think sometimes when you set your, your mind to things, the universe, right. Aligns itself to help you achieve that goal. And that's kind of what happened here, right? I read the book at the right time, it gave us a lot more confidence that we could execute it. And then we just started going down the path without fear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations again. I think that's a great story to share. And uh, I know you guys will make everything successful in what you do there for sure. Oh, thanks. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. So let me shift gears here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about your views on leadership. Um, why don't you share with us kind of how your, you know, your leadership views are and how you lead uh, your organization? Yeah, it's, it's really kind of funny and timely that you, um, that you bring it up because I've actually been working on a, on a keynote um, on leadership for entrepreneurs and, and really kind of the, the whole gist of it um, is it's an uncomfortable reality that, you know, what got an entrepreneur right to a stage of their business to start scaling isn't what's going to get them to the next level. Um, yeah, because right, a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, are kind of technicians at heart that don't like managers. <laughs> and so you start a business. Yep. And the problem is, you, you know, you can do that and you can build a nice small lifestyle business where you're holding on to everything. You know, I, um, I, in kind of my talk, I use the, uh, the, the Stephen Covey model of, right, we're moving rocks, right? You get up in the morning and you move rocks and then you celebrate when your customers give you their rocks to move. Mm-hmm. But what happened, you know, and then you get a team and all of a sudden you get overwhelmed and your team's just waiting for you to tell them what to do, but you're too busy moving rocks. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality of it is, so, you know, from a leadership standpoint, there are a lot of things uh, that have really changed, you know, for example, um, really understanding the impact I can have on, on a team in a, in a meeting. So if I go into a meeting um, saying, I, I, I know we need to do this, right? Because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we, we need to speak in that definitive nature with customers. Um, you do that in a team and you just shut down creativity. Yeah. Um, because, well, you're the boss and it's your idea and you, you know it's right. So we're not going to convince you otherwise. Instead of going into the room and saying, okay, here's a thought. And if you have a thought, let's, you know, let's all, let's all understand where we're all coming from. Or better yet, what I do now most of the time, especially on product, related meetings is I make it so I'm the last to speak and I hear all the other input before I get there. So, I mean, it's a, it's a real small nuance. Um, But when one example is yet, you know, don't go in there knowing things, go in there thinking more importantly, be the last to share your thoughts. And you'd be amazed at how many creative ideas come out of it. Um, Well, yeah. And not only that, but by the way, I love what you just said. If anybody's listening to this episode, I would replay exactly what he just said because it's so, so true. But what I love about that is if you go in there with that kind of mindset, it doesn't, it almost doesn't allow your employees to feel like they're a part of something. They almost feel like they're being mm-hmm. told what to do instead of if you go in there with that mindset saying, what's, a, what's your guys' thought on this and allow them to speak up and share, they feel like they're a part of something at that point. You see what I'm saying? I, I know exactly what you're saying, but one of the most interesting um byproducts is, you know, personally, and, and we can get into a whole, right, psychoanalysis in my youth, but yep. being the guy with the answers is, is really, for most of my career, how I 
right? How I got my, my recognition. And today I have little impact on which choices are being made about product day to day because my CTO knows what he's doing. All of my engineering team knows what's going on in the product to a greater degree than I can. And by simply having this process now, and I trust implicitly what's going on, we deliver product features that I could have never imagined. And, and so the, the, you know, the added benefit is just more creativity throughout the, uh, throughout the organization. And yeah, if, if, if you don't take anything away from this podcast, please just go in there and you know, be the last to speak and simply say, I think. Absolutely. And, I couldn't uh, agree with you more. I mean, you're, what you're saying is you've empowered those people to, to you know, be able to be creative and have the ideas and now you trust them and they know that you trust them and it allows you to put out a better product or a better solution or better servers, you know, whatever you're talking about that at a particular time. Um, and it makes you that even be, uh, more impactful as a leader of the organization that they trust you as their leader. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the trust starts really building. I mean, yep. there are a few other things that, that we do and believe in, and I'll just give you uh, just one more because I want to be sensitive to time. And that's, the idea of process, right? It's another thing that most entrepreneurs that I know just can't stand, Yeah. right? Or process looks like this to them. Um, they finally want to pay attention to improving how things are going, you know, are working in their organization. So they start writing out a policy or a procedure or a process. And entrepreneurs always like making things better. So then they start, you know, fixing it, right? On a, on a monthly, a weekly, shit, sometimes a daily basis and just changing. So ultimately we have no process, yeah. right? And then they're frustrated that no one follows the process. Um, so what we did was we found, you know, some things that we liked in different, different processes and methodologies. One is, you know, we started with the Vern Harnish one-page strategic plan and we've implemented traction here. You know, um, yeah, and, and so for a guy that hates meetings, I love my 90-minute L10 meeting every week. Right. We get so much done and the entire organization is so in alignment that, you know, when COVID hit and Jeff and I were in the middle of, okay, revenue has gone down because at the beginning of COVID, every advertiser pulled what was going on, which meant our revenue opportunities decreased. We needed to find, you know, funding. So what started in the summer of 20 is what I'd call a COVID relief, right, or protection raise ended up becoming a, um, an oversubscribed round that we used aggressively to continue to build our business leading into that acquisition this year. And, and so we, the only reason we could do that was because we had 100% confidence that the day-to-day -day activity of the organization was getting done because we had process, we had traction. You know, we, we ran a level 10, every department runs level 10, and we still got to see everybody on our, in our morning huddle. And, and so with that put in place, Jeff and I could be heads down figuring out how the heck are we going to, you know, find the capital to not only get the business to the, to the next level, but most importantly, to survive while there was so much uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask this, Brian, where did you learn these leadership traits? <laughs> um, through the school of hard knocks in many <laughs> No, and seriously, I mean, I wish, um, I, 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 you know, one of the big things I'd say from a learning standpoint is... Um, one of the things Jeff and I have in common is we read a lot of books. Yeah. And we don't just read a book and then try to, you know, boomerang it into our organization, but we try to find the things that really connect, right? So there's stuff that, that have always sat with us, whether it's Simon Sinek and, you know, the golden circle as a, as a way to think about why we exist um, to, again, there's so much similarity between, you know, the Rockefeller Habits one-page strategic plan by Vern Harnish with traction, right? And we just happen to like the traction flavor over gazelles. 
in terms of how we implemented it. Um, and then, you know, then there's just, um, you know, daring leadership by Brene Brown and being just one small thing like that, where we ran uh, a, a, an internal book club for the company, but to have a, a common language where you can like, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad reaction, you know, to something that's gone on and I can, I can st bring someone aside and go, listen, here's my shitty first draft. Let's figure this out. And those types of things, it, it's really, it really has been, you know, kind of a library card and trial and error. And, and there, then that's how we did. I, I've learned more through this and things like pipeline and EO than I did getting my MBA. Oh, I, I believe that for sure. Um, I'm a big component of, you know, reading and continue to educate yourself and mm -hmm. um, all of that. And I, I love EO. I love going to types of events like that, where you can learn from other leaders, which is a big reason why I started this podcast, to be honest with you. There's so many great leaders here in St. Louis, and there's so many great people that I've met through EO and through networking here in St. Louis. Uh, and when COVID hit, I wanted to share their, their story. I wanted people to know that we have great businesses and great leaders right here in St. Louis, um, great stories to share. Um, and this, this platform allows me to share people like your view on leadership. And if somebody listens to this episode and pulls out one piece of advice or one tidbit, and they apply that to their organization, then their organization succeeds. What people don't realize is that means St. Louis succeeds. And when St. Mm -hmm. Louis succeeds, we all succeed. I, I, I jokingly tell people on this podcast, the reason I started this podcast was because I don't necessarily believe that our elected officials are the leaders of St. Louis. The leaders of St. Louis are the people who are employing the employees here in St. Louis, like you and Jeff and other small to medium-sized businesses here in St. Louis. They're the ones that have the biggest impact on our community. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree. I mean, one of the things that, that we see as important is how we treat right, our, our team here um, whether to empowerment or right, or or if we or if we don't, or disempowerment, right? Um, that that they take that home, yeah, and it affects the you know their family life, and then that can affect their community. And so if we can lead, whether it's by example, or you know lead with our culture first approach, and you know things like you know we exist right from a person in in, a, in an employee standpoint to um, help and challenge each other to be the best versions of ourselves and make our own dent in the universe, right? Jeff and I are very passionate about the St. Louis startup ecosystem, but that's not the same thing as, as everybody in our company. And, and we needed to listen to that. And so that's why we evolved kind of our why to include, we want everyone to make their dent in the universe, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, Brian, I always end this podcast by asking my guests to leave us mm -hmm. with a piece of advice, whether that be on personal life or whether that be on starting a business or even running a business. If you could leave the audience today with one mm -hmm. piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to try this out with you here, Brian, because this is actually something that we, I, I was working on in the talk. Um, and it's going to be on business. And that's, you know, it, it's real easy, you know, whether I, I've shared a few things today, whether that's right, you know, being the person that doesn't know things, but, but thinks things and, and speak last. But how do you stop yourself, right? Because we all have worked in um, automatic responses to how, how we behave in situations. And, and so uh, one of the funny things as I was working on this keynote with, with a friend um, was trying to come up with something that, so people would remember. So I'm going to test this out on you, Brian. So when we, when we were kids at school, right? And uh, one of the things we learned was if you ever find yourself on fire, what were the three steps that you were told to do to, to, get, to put that fire out that was on you? Right. It was stop, drop and roll. Yeah, you're right. Right. Like we've all heard it growing up. So what we did was we modified it and said, right, if you're an entrepreneur and you're running around with your hair on fire, um, stop, 
take a look around and see, are you really the only person that has to be the one solving this problem right now? Or is there someone else or a process that can take it over? Drop, drop the notion that you are the center of solving things in the company. And then once you've identified who it is that, uh, that should be running it or the process that should be taking over, just let it roll. So just stop, drop, and roll. And you can really get yourself from breaking habits that are going to keep you uh, from making it to the next level. No, I love that. I think that's great advice. And I love the, um, I hadn't started, thought about stop, drop, and roll since I was in you know grade school, probably. But uh, mm-hmm. I love how you kind of put that all together there. Perfect. Yeah. So that, that yeah, I mean, one goal is if we can help, you know, entrepreneurs be better um, within their organizations, to your point that it affects the entire community at large. So I'm 100% agree with you on that. And um, super appreciative that you invited me on the show today. And hopefully there's something here for entrepreneurs to benefit from. Absolutely. Well, on behalf of myself and the STLers podcast, I appreciate you joining us today and being a great STL leader. Great. Thank you very much.